we're done with the book of Revelation. We're done with Advent. And so that makes us ready for a new book. We're on Psalms on Wednesday, and we'll probably be there for a good bit. It's a good chunk of a book, and I try not to spend two weeks on certain Psalms, but some of them you just have to. And so it's going to take a little while. When I first came here 15, 16 years ago, we went through Genesis. I wanted to start with origins. I wanted you to know who I am and what I believe and the origins of the book. And we went through a verse at a time up to chapter 10, I believe, chapter 10 or 11, because it's just a big book. <laughs> but we kind of got through the main and plain things up to the Tower of Babel. Uh, and then we quit. We preached through the book of Matthew to study uh, what he has to say. Matthew is one that you go to often, you know, for quotes when you think about Jesus. You know, he just has it all. He was a, um, a tax collector, so he was required by the Romans to take shorthand. And so we have a real accurate account, and it's just neat to know that we have someone who was there to be able to take shorthand and then have their notes and put it together in a book. Uh, we've been through the book of Luke. I chose it because I like Luke as a writer. He's a Gentile. He thinks along my lines a lot. You know, he, he likes boats. He likes he liked travel. And he wrote these down. He, he had neat uh, deductive skills because he is a doctor. He's observant. You know, he looks for evidence in someone to see and be able to diagnose them. And so he was like a very good reporter uh, because that's basically what he was. He was an in-depth journalist reporter, uh, something we don't know anything about today. Uh, but, but something that there used to be people who would dig into and find the truth, interview eyewitnesses and report what it was in that stance. And that's how he starts out. I've come, I've interviewed eyewitnesses. And he goes and he tells us some very unique accounts because he went and talked to the people. And so we've been through the book of Luke, we've been through Ecclesiastes, 1 John, the book of Hebrews, we've gone through 2 Peter, the book of Ruth, the Song of Solomon a couple of times, maybe even again this year, just we got some new people, it's kind of a fun one uh, to go through that we can hit in just a couple of weeks. So we might do that again as a special time. We've been through the book of Esther, uh, Jonah, the book of Daniel, uh, on purpose and probably uh, inadvertently through other references going back to Daniel a couple of times. Uh, the book of Jude, the Gospel of Mark, we've been through Joshua, we've been through the book of Judges, we've been through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, and I think there might be a couple we've forgotten, but we've hit at least 20 that we've gone through a, a verse at a time, and so the Lord tarries, we will get all 66 books in um, before I'm gone, uh, but uh, I'm thinking that I won't, and I'm thinking the return is very soon. So I was plagued with the decision, what would be good in the aftermath of 2020? What would be a good encouragement to the church? What can we read to help prepare us for 2021? Because by all indications, they're saying, things aren't going back to normal. And you're going to have to do this, and you're going to have to do that. And you know, we, have, you know, we already know the first week is going to be a week of uh, who knows what. We vote on the January 6th and things. And so yeah, we've got an interesting time ahead. So, so what do we do? How do we spiritually prepare? And so that's what I searched to, to try to decide. We know that spiritual wickedness in high places is rampant among us. It has revealed itself. It is on the front page of newspapers all the time, the things that are going on, and the people that they attack. I mean, they've come right out and attacking Christianity anymore. I mean, they're not even veiling it, you know, that they're against us. So what would be good for us to combat this darkness? So I thought, well, the obvious is light, right? <laughs> if you're going to combat the darkness, you can combat it with light. And so let's study our master. That's what I felt we needed to do. We need to go back and, and look at our Lord and Savior and study Him. Let's look at His supernatural origins. Let's study His gospel and, and know what it was that He said and the words He said and how He taught us. Let's look at His teachings and study that. Let's look at His life, how He lived, how He treated His family, His friends, His disciples. So let's study the gospel of John. I think, one, because 
John is one that's familiar. We've just been through the book of Revelation. He writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. <laughs> he has the Gospel of John. He's, he's very creative with his titles. Um, but no, we, we get to read John. He's the only one who didn't die a martyr's death. They tried to kill him, but he didn't die a martyr's death. He was uh, the patriarch that was left, lived up into his 90s. It was said that they would, didn't have wheelchairs, you know, so they had a little wheelbarrow-like thing that they would roll him out and put him under a tree, and people would come and ask him their questions. And he addresses the church, you know, and in some of his latter letters, as little children, you know, that uh, we're the little children of the faith, you know, that he is there to kind of help shepherd through the early times. And so he writes his gospel. Let's turn to the end of the book first, because kind of like Revelation, let's cheat. Let's see the end. Let's turn to John chapter 20, not exactly the very last, but John 20, and we'll look at verse 30. He says things that I remember one time, I was probably in my 30s, and I remember thinking, I know I've read this. Is that true? It doesn't seem like, it seems like something that would be in the Bible, but it seems, you know, and so there's a few little things here at the end that we're going to start with just to remind me who he is and what his purpose is, what's going on. So John chapter 20, we'll start with verse 30. John 20, verse 30. says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So we're at the end. There's one more chapter after chapter 20. And he's telling us the why. Here's why I wrote this. Here's why I took time to pin this down. This is a time when it's not like us, you know, or I can just stop at CVS and buy all the pens and paper I want and go home and write, or I can go home and and just start typing something up. I can type it in word processing. I can type it in InDesign. I can type it in Illustrator. I can type it as an email and send it out and just proclaim it and publish it. I can just record it and put it out there. This is a time when paper was something. Writing was something. And the, the effort and the time and the expense to sit down and, and pin this. And he did. And he said, here's why. This is the last gospel. Matthew, uh, we think Mark is probably one of the earliest ones written. And then Luke writes his, you know, as a defense piece, you know, towards the end of Paul's life there. And, and so, uh, those three had already been written, and then John comes and writes his. Track, I always think of them as tracks, I like tracks, and so I think it was a good track to the people. This is a reminder, if you always forget your Bible, we have, uh, thanks to Annie um, and Dave, that we have a Gospel of John's in the back. There's a Gospel of John, whatever kind of cover you want, there's a nice springy one. Uh, here's some more, we've got all kinds of designs, I have some on the table, some way office that we haven't put out yet. That's the Gospel of John. It is a book when someone... Uh, repents of their sins and trust as Christ the Savior, I recommend go home and start reading the Gospel of John. See who our Savior is. Know him. Uh, let, let John teach you. This aged, wise one in the church, let him take you and tenderly introduce you to our Savior. He says here, why does he write this? Verse 31, that you might believe. Right at the end, that you might believe and have life. You might believe... You might believe in Jesus Christ, it says. He tells us that Jesus is the Christ. I want you to know that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the, uh, the Messiah. Christ and Messiah means the same thing. He also says, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He tells us that here. I want you to understand that he is divine. Many think he wrote this just as a rebuttal to the Gnostic gospel that says he was just 100% man. It's like, no, he was 100% man, but he's also 100% God. He's the Anthropos, 100% God, 100% man combined is the fancy word for it. He also says that he wrote this that you might have life. 
that you might have salvation. So this is a salvation track to show you who our Savior is, that he is Messiah. You can trust it, you can know it, that he is divine, that he is God in human flesh, and that you can have salvation because he is the way of life. Believing that you might have life through his name. There's the way. How do you have eternal life? Through Jesus Christ and what he's done. Repenting and trusting in him. So that's why he's written this. He wants to build our faith. And that's why I chose this book. I want to build my faith. I want to build your faith. Because we're going to come in time when Jesus says, uh, the time is coming upon the earth, where he even says, will I find faith on the earth? I want to say in Trafalgar, Indiana, yes. Because we've tried to bolster up. We've prepared for the hard days as they are coming because he's told us in advance these days are coming. So we need to shore up. We need to work on our armor. He's given us the full armor of God. And you work on your shield and you train with your sword in the off times, not in the battle. You don't say like, well, I wish I had to fix my shield. I got a few holes in it here. No, we work on it now. And so I want to build up your shield of faith, give you a good door to hide behind and say, no, this is why I believe. This is why I believe it. So John says, this is my, my goal as well. So I want to build our faith. He tells us about our Messiah, that he is Messiah, uh, beyond a shadow of doubt. And I think he does it in such a way that we don't have to be so Jewish you know, that, that we might miss something, or that if we're too Gentile, we don't get it all. I think he puts it right in the way to say, here are the main things. He does a good job of getting it down to the main things, to the crux of the matter. He says there are many other things. He goes, I could have written a whole lot more, but here's the main things. Here's the, here's the point. Here's the purpose. And then he's going to show us proof that he is that Messiah. He's going to take us through those encounters. Verse 30 uh, says that he will show us signs. And many other signs truly did Jesus in his presence. So we're at the end. He's like, I've just written a whole book. But he did many other signs, many other things. That was one of the things when I was searching, like I said, when I was younger, thinking, isn't there something that said that he did a whole lot more? It's like, (laughs) than they've written here. It's just not like, here are the main things. And, you know, he did five major things or he did six... Like, no, he did so much more. This is just what they've written. These are the main ones. There's, you have like the synoptic gospels are, are like three people reporting uh, out on accident and from their different perspectives. And one's giving you a very Jewish one. One's very, give you a very Gentile one. One just kind of give you the main points. But then we have John who's like, I have a point and a purpose of why I'm writing this. He's, he's to convince us that we're to have faith. And so he's wanting to encourage our faith and to convince us that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. John wants us to know also the deity of Jesus Christ. Because the Gnostics were going around saying that, no, he wasn't divine. He, he was just a good man. He, he was a good example. No, he, if he's not divine, then we have no salvation. You know, the, we need someone who represents us uh, fully on both sides. And Jesus Christ is that. And so he's going to tell us about the supernatural parts of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is supernatural. He has a supernatural origin, that he is the supernatural son of God. He is something that as a boy, when I was growing up, I'm like, well, maybe I'm going to find out I'm the heir to an alien planet and I have superpowers. I do not. <laughs> maybe I'll find a ring and it'll give me some power to fly. Nope. You know, maybe I'll find some special suit and I'll be able to do things. Literal ideas that I've had. Maybe I'll find out that I'm a master Jedi and be able to, you know, don't you want to be the hero of your story and to do this? You know what? I found out I'm the child of a king. You know, I'm going to be joint heirs with him in Christ. There is that. I am the little cinder boy, you know, who grows up to find out that we're royalty, that you're kings and priests. You all are. So, yeah, those yearnings that I had as a young man, probably way too late, as a young man and as a young boy, are fulfilled in Christ. You know, those things that there is something supernatural. He does equip us. 
He's given us weapons of warfare. I don't need a lightsaber or ability to fly. I have him. I need that faith of a mustard seed. I need to know. I need to have trust in him, the one who says, no weapon shall form against me shall prosper. If I'm in him, it'll be towards his goal. If I'm in, um, in walking in lockstep with him. But yeah, he is supernatural. He is the son of God. 100% man, as we have said, and 100% God in human flesh. John, who is also the writer of the book of Revelation, as we mentioned earlier, and we know when we wrote, went through the book of Revelation that there's a lot of sevens in there. And we, we even talked about that a little bit earlier in the genealogy account of Matthew at the start of Advent. You know, we looked at that, all the sevens that were in there, you know, the, all the divisible by seven. As a matter of fact, um, the last message, Angel was asking me something. I kind of pointed out something about Anna that was there, and she was so many years old. And they're like, well, that's divisible by seven, and she had been divorced seven years. And it was like there was a whole bunch just embedded in within her, you know, the heptatic structure it's called, that God's signature that he signed these things, that is, he will complete it. His word is completed, it is there. It's no shock that the book of John here has a heptatic structure or has a lot of sevens in it. He mentions only seven disciples. We know that there were more, but he only mentions seven. He only talks about seven women. There were more that followed. There's more that they knew, but he he mentions seven. He will show us seven dramatic I am statements that Jesus makes. Now, these are there to kind of show his divine origin. It's the tetragrammatron. Tetragrammatron, that's easy for me to say. It's the I am that I am. You know, it goes back to the burning of the bush. Who do I say sent me? I am that I am sent you. It's like, I don't need anybody else. I don't need anything. I am, I'm self-sustaining. I am, where am I? I am, uh, that I am does this. Jesus Christ does that seven times in the book of John. Sometimes it like bowls them over. Proclaiming, I am. Who was the one to bring? I am. Before Abraham was, I am. We're going to look at seven different times this. And three of them that are in the Gospel of John aren't in any of the Gospels. He's like, I'm going to tell you about seven of them to show you he is who he says he is. There are uh, seven word pictures uh, that are in the Gospel of John where he describes things for us. John will introduce us to seven witnesses. Witnesses. The power of a testimony. Witnesses. Witnesses who met Jesus. Early on, uh, like I said, probably in my late teens and 20s, that was one of the things I wrestled with. I remember sitting in the pew, looking at the pastor, saying, why do I trust him? What if someone just told him a big old heap of baloney, and he's just repeating it because he went to a school that repeats that same old baloney. How do I know that this is true? How do I know that this is real? God's like, Right where I want you. Investigate. Find out. And you know one of the things that convinced me most? When I went down my search to make sure that this faith was real, uh, that what we were believing was real, testimonies. Specifically the testimony of the disciples. I was reading Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter. And he'd given a lot of arguments, good arguments for... Jesus Christ being who he said he is, you know, liar, lunatic of Lord, he uses from C.S. Lewis, and he has all these different arguments, but the one that got me was the testimonies of the disciples. He has a list in there showing how they died for their faith. And I remember the night that they were crucified, they were hiding, that the Lord was crucified, that he, they were hiding, they were scared. The Peter, the one who was so bold, that says, Lord, I will never deny you. When challenged by just a little maiden, 
I do not know the man. You know, they were terrified. Crucifixion, we don't think we realize what a cruel death that was. What a, what a, I guess what a statement that made in their culture that they're like, no, no, I don't want this. And they hid. And they hid in the upper room. And when our Lord resurrected, he met with them. They saw him. They touched him. Fell down at their feet and said, my Lord and my God. They knew him. They knew him before, they knew him after, and they're like, this is him. And they all died for their faith. They were beaten, they were thrown in prison. Go out and speak no more in this man's name. Where were they the next day? On the steps. Who do we obey, God or man? They had seen something. Their life was testimony that they had met the risen Lord, that he was dead, and that he was alive again. And it changed their life, and it changed the world. Because they went forth and took the gospel and proclaimed it. It's still being proclaimed today. Testimonies. Changed lives. Testimonies of the disciples. Testimony of people. God still saves souls. God still changes lives for those who encounter him today. I know a girl, farm girl, who was staring, looking in the mirror. She said, who made me? And it started her down the journey till she found the Creator. I know a guitar maker who was watching YouTube videos in his garage came into an encounter with his Savior. I know a man after the church had asked him if they could pick up their kids to ride on the, on the bus and take them to Sunday school and thought, well, I should be taking them. And it bothered him so much in the middle of the night. He gets up at his dining room table and surrenders his life to Christ. I know a girl at a roller skating rink who sits down because it was a church event and they present the gospel. She gave her heart to Christ. It affects a whole family. Lives that are changed. Testimonies that Christ is alive and transforming lives. Still to this day. I told you before, but I remember Peter Jennings having a special back whenever. And, uh, and it was on, you know, is there a God? Is, is Jesus the Christ? You know, one of those Easter specials. We tear down major Christianity points. You know, and they have this whole big thing, and they interview experts, and you're like, Jesus Seminar is not an expert. You know, these are guys that tear down, and you're always like, who are these people that they pick out? I remember getting the email later that night from my brother-in-law. and said, while Peter Jennings was attacking our Lord and Savior, he was saving our daughter Sarah. She was asking Christ to be her Savior in her bedroom. I remember thinking, Amen. He's alive and well, saving souls. Still, there's testimonies. Can't argue with the testimony. We know that right now. That's why the Supreme Court doesn't want to hear any. Don't confuse us with facts. And so we can see those things going on in our media today. And so testimonies make a difference. John says, I'm going to give you seven witnesses. I'm going to bring them before you. You decide. We get a look at those. He's going to show us seven things that makes Jesus Christ equal with God, because he is. He's going to show us seven of them. makes it complete. He tells us there's many more. I'm going to show you seven. He's going to show us seven signs, or we'd call them miracles. Six that aren't mentioned in any of the other Gospels. And so we get a unique perspective from John, as he wants to show us that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Look at chapter 21. 
We'll get right to the last verse. John 21, verse 25. He says, There are also many other things which Jesus did, that which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. This was the one that when I was younger I was specifically looking for. I think I was thinking of a song. Like, well, is it something like the sky of parchment and the ocean was ink, you know, and didn't the Bible say that? No, not necessarily that, but it says this. John, who was with them, he's one of the early ones, you know, he's one of the early ones with them. So he's with Christ for three and a third years. He writes a whole book and he says, I picked down seven different segments to tell you. Seven different things, you know, and these puts throughout here. Did he do it on purpose? I don't know. Is it just the Holy Spirit steering him? It's going to be, it's going to be seven, John. <laughs> and I don't even know that I've listed all the sevens. There might even be more in here. That's at least seven that we have to start out with. And he says, you know, when he gets to the end of writing this, he's like, there's so much more. There's so much more. I, I don't know about you, but I, I've watched a lot of different Bible movies. There's a few of them I like. I think they get some certain scenes. I'm like, they kind of build that emotion. That's why I think I like movies. They build emotion. They can really build you into it. I think that's the power of the medium of a movie. You know, we, we can kind of control and put someone into a place and, and work on their emotions. You know, that's why people like the Hallmark Channel. You know, kind, of, kind of work up and get these things in different, you know, to, to that spot. You know, it's, you're manipulated by the music. You're manipulated by the story. You know what people are thinking. You know, and it pulls you there. There's a lot of them I'm like, I don't know. They seem weird. Did the disciples really walk around like that? You know, or, you know, they're leaning on each other all the time. Oh, well, maybe they did. I don't know. I wouldn't do that. You know, but maybe that was their culture. Maybe that's how things were. Uh, I watched one. It was a newer one. They were like, it was the calling of the disciples, that section. And, and they're like on the beach, and there's a crowd there, and Jesus is on the water. And it looked like he was picking dodgeball team. John! Yeah, Peter! And they come walking up and stand in line. And the other guys are like, pick me, pick me. And it didn't. Is that how it was? I, I don't think so. You know, I think the chosen has gotten it good, where he's kind of living life and intermixing with people and has these encounters, and he's like, you know, come follow me. And the ones who show up that day to go follow him are the ones that come. The other ones don't. I think they've done a good job of getting there. But I think it's knowing that you know you're working off a little limited text. I know they're trying to be holy as they're presenting and doing it right. But I think knowing this from John thrills me. That he says, I spent three years with him. And I've written a few things here, 21 chapters. And if I sat there and told you everything, the kind of guy he was, there's not enough books. There's not the nuances. Here's a man, in these movies a lot of time they make him aloft and standing there all kind of creepy. Like, it's like, is he approachable? He's the one who loved the little children. He's the guy down playing with them. He's the guy who knows who they are and entertains them and just enjoying his creation and just enjoying who they are you know, in that way. It's like, yeah, he loves them. He loves watching people be who they are. He's made them and to be down in amongst his creation. He's one of them. I think he had so much going on so many times that John's like, man, I could not tell you everything. I boiled it down to just a few. Hallelujah, what a Savior. John, the beloved disciple, says, I can't even tell you everything about him. Here's some highlights. Imagine all these other things all the time that Christ was doing. He was a unique individual. So yeah, this isn't everything. There's probably at least seven more. Who knows? This is what John tells us. It's just a sampling. Enough to convince us. That's what he says I'm going to do. I want you to believe. 
I want you to believe he's the Messiah. I want to show you some of his signs. I want you to have life everlasting. I want you to trust in him. And so he tells us this. And John, a lot of people are ridiculing him. They're like, this is a very simple, this is a very basic gospel. Because he uses very simple words. Simple words to read. That convey concepts that can confound the biggest minds out there. We'll start out with the first few verses here in a minute. And a lot of them are just one syllable words. You know, it's like one syllable words, but man, he puts them together. And you're like, it's so simple to read and yet so deep to take you down there. So I think that's uh, very interesting. I think that's a good communicator. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, a Bible teacher that I like, you know, his famous quote is, put it, he likes to put the cookies on the shelf where the kitties can get them. Like, that's the way I like it. Explain it where I can understand it, and then I can just take it as deep as I want. And so I think John does that. Easy to read, but deep to think about. John is a person. Uh, we know his dad was Zebedee, fisherman. He owned a fishing fleet there, and he was one of the fishermen that went out and was a son of Zebedee. We know that the Bible talks about him. He was kind of a, a known man in their community. Uh, we know his mother. His mother was uh, Salome. To know about John's parents is that at the tomb on the resurrection morning, John's mother was one of the ones that were there. She, he was one of the women that showed up at the tomb. So John wasn't just a, a rogue out by himself. You know, he, he had a believing father and a believing mother. John's brother, we know, is James. Uh, and the unique thing about them, which I think the movies all get wrong, you're always like John, you know, because he's so blown away that Jesus chosen him and, and that Jesus uses him. They, they usually kind of portray him a little, I don't know, weak or something like that. But the words of our Savior to describe James and his brother John is that he had a nickname for him, right? The Sons of Thunder. Yeah, it's like, it's like a wrestling term, right? Like, like he knows these guys, like, here they come, the sons of thunder. And and because these guys are wanting to call down fire all the time. Lord, should we call down fire upon them? Like, whoa, 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 sons of thunder. Uh, back up a little bit. You know, I have some grace and mercy here. And so I think, I think every time he called them the sons of thunder, whatever they would get in their sons of thunder way, you know, these are big burly fishermen who are used to throwing things around, you know, messing around on the docks, you know, doing all this. And now they're going to be fishers of men. And Jesus is like, probably calls them that with a little smile on his face every time. Hey, sons of thunder. And that just makes me uh, curious when Revelation says that they're going to give us a stone with a new name written that only he and I know. Or, like, what's his pet name for me? Hey, Gooberhead. <laughs> what's it going to be? It'll be something that he's like, I know who you are. He knows who they are. The sons of thunder, you know, James and John. Uh, John's fishing partner and his little. I don't know if it's just in his boat or in their own little subgroup. If they broke off from their dad, was Peter. So it was Peter, James, and John. So they all knew each other. And one of the main things that really strikes me about John is that he knew he was loved by Jesus. And you get the sense that it overwhelmed him to the point where he never even really mentions himself and the one whom Jesus loved. He'll talk about him, the one who was there next to Jesus. And the one, he's like, I can't believe that he would choose me and that I would get to be part of the inner circle, you know, that inner, inner group. And that I would be the one that he would let see the end times. And that I would be the one that he lets live out past all the rest of them. That I would be the one who get to write these books that's going to affect Christianity up until our Lord comes. That, that he would pick me to watch over his mother, over his own brother. You know, because Jesus had a brother named James, you know, who becomes the head of the church. And yet, when he's dying on the cross, he doesn't say, James, consider your mother. No, he says, John, John, take care of my mom. But he also knew that James was not going to live very long. You know, they throw him off the pinnacle of the temple and kill him as a leader of uh, the Jerusalem church. 
So he says, John, you're going to live longer. Take care of my mother. And I'm pretty sure that I think it's Ephesus where they're buried, that, the, that they're buried close to one another. And so, yeah, John, he's a thinker. He's John who's one who's invested. John who knows Jesus Christ. John who, who had traveled with him, who walked with him, who worked with him. John who'd seen these things with his own eyes. An eyewitness himself says, I want to convince you. This is worth my time. This is worth my effort. He did so much more than I could even write in this book. So Matthew, when he wrote his, he says, I want to show you that Jesus comes from Abraham. That his line, his birth line is through the line of David. That he is the rightful king of the Jews. And so it is very structured. It is very um, purposeful to the Jewish mindset. He is showing, like I said, he was a... Um, a shorthand, you know, because he was a tax collector. So he writes these, these down. It's a very legal and, and proceeding in that way. That's Matthew's point. That's why he writes it. Mark shows Jesus came from Nazareth. He's this average guy. And so he shares and shows us that Jesus Christ is a servant. I want to show you the working heart of Jesus Christ. The one who wasn't afraid to get down and get his hands dirty. The afraid who wasn't to get in the trenches. The guy who was down there, lived among us, seemed like... Joe from Tupelo, you know, worked at the gas station or something. He says, I want to show you that he's the average guy. He's the servant. That's his point. That's why he writes it. Luke says, I want to show you that he is a descendant of Adam. So he demonstrates to us that Jesus Christ is the perfect man. Oh, he was divine. But he wants to show us that he's human. The human side of him. Because we could put so much in him to say that he's so much above us and all. And he is. But he's like us. And that's why we have an advocate that we can take our, take our cares and worries to because he's been always tested and tempted like we are, yet without sin. And so we have one who knows. We have one who understands. We have one who's been there, who's been mocked and made fun of and rejected and anything that you can think of. He's been through it. And so Luke says, I want you to know as a physician that he's human. I've investigated him. I've seen him. I've given him uh, the once over. And yes, he's human. So he writes his book to show that. And then John, John says that, uh, well, many say that John doesn't have a genealogy. You know, Matthew starts right out with begotten, begotten, begotten. We looked at that and had a bunch of sevens in it. Mark doesn't really show us a genealogy because he's an average guy, you know, no big, no big pedigree, you know, to go back to. Uh, Luke does. He wants to show us and prove that he goes back to Adam. So he takes us all the way back to uh, Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. You know, takes us back to there, all the way back to the, the Garden of Eden. We have John, the people are like, he didn't give us any genealogy. And I say they are blind. He starts right out with it. Jesus came from heaven and is divine. John shows us the supernatural origins of Jesus Christ. So turn to John chapter 1. The supernatural origins of Jesus Christ. And I have to say, I like superhero movies. And my favorite ones are generally the origin story. How, how, how do they come into being? You know, where is this? What makes them who? Why are they fighting? Why are they doing this? You know, I like those. I think it gives you the motive behind how things happen. I like it in any tale. I like to know the origins. So here we have with Jesus Christ, we have his origins. <laughs> kind of. Because he has no beginning. <laughs> Let's read the first five verses. This is an introduction. So John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made 
that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. What an opening salvo, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you about this guy. If you go through there, most of them are just one-syllable words. I think you have a couple of two-syllables and one three-syllable. Comprehended might be the biggest word that's in that opening thing. But think about what he says in that. So they get him for simplicity, <laughs> but he ain't simple. In the beginning was the word. This takes us back to the origin. It's a very Genesis uh, kind of starting here, isn't it? In the beginning was the word, the origin of our home. Before the origin of our home, before the beginning. This is back to the beginning before there was a beginning. You know, so it's like all the way back before there was a world. And in the beginning, before any of all this started, anything that happened in Genesis was the Word. He was there. Before it begins, He was there. The Word was there. And Jesus Christ is the Word. You notice that your Bible should have the Word capitalized. It's his name is the title. Jesus is the Word. And He is established before the world began. And it says that. He was with God, and that He is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The deity of Jesus Christ. This is His origin. This is His genealogy right here. He's divine. He's before any of this starts. Matter of fact, He's the Creator. He tells us who creates all these things, and Colossians will tell us without Him, is, you know, that He holds all things together. That He's still the one who maintains it all. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's deity. He's God. He's there. He's God's word. And I was thinking about it, and, I, and, I, and we'll probably spend some time next week about what word is, logos, here and, and everything. And I was thinking, well, one way in which we use word is that you can take me at your word. It's about trust. It's about fulfillment. God's given his word. And Jesus is that word. He fulfilled it. He came. He was born as a baby. He gave his life. He was the Goel, the kinsman redeemer who died in our place. He is the one who's coming again. He's given his word. He's given Jesus. And Jesus says, my word is truth. I am truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So it's just ah, so, much, so much depth in there just by saying the word word. You know, that, that we can, we'll take a little time maybe next week to look into. And it tells us much of his origin here. This is as far as we can know that Jesus is God. That Jesus is the word. That Jesus is creator, because it goes on, it says in the, the verse 2, the same as in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He's the creator. God the Father, how do you separate one without the other? That's a pretty neat little study if you've never done it. If you go through and like look at certain things and, and, and see the hints of the Trinity that are there. Like who raised Jesus Christ from, from the dead? You can look in the Bible and it'll say that the Father raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You can also find that Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead. I can take my life and lay it down and bring it up again. You also find where the Holy Spirit raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Which one's true? All of them. Because it's the Trinity. One and three. And so, so it's all there in nuances. Who created the world? Did the Father create the world? Yeah. Did Jesus create the world? Yes. Was the Holy Spirit the energy that hovered over the face of the deep? Yeah. And you, because you can't separate them. That is there. It is mind-boggling. We can apprehend it, but we cannot comprehend it. Um, but Jesus Christ is the creator. Jesus Christ is light. There be light, and he is the light that shines in the darkness, and darkness comprehends it not. That's one of the things I liked of the candlelight service when we had just the light. And then as he spread that light, and that light conquers the darkness, you know, that we could, we could see, we probably, most younger ones, you could probably read your Bible with just a candlelight that we had in the room uh, here that night. You know, light conquers darkness every time. The darkness flees. Uh, I remember playing with that one day, thinking about it, 
going and turning on the light at home. I'm probably getting yelled at by my dad. Quit flicking on my light switch. You know, but like, how fast does light come and fill every corner? Pop, boom, instant, 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 instant. In fact, how fast does the darkness flees? Faster than cockroaches. Uh, they're cowards, you know, but the light comes into it. It has to hide. Jesus Christ is the light that comes into the world. Jesus Christ is Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Jesus Christ is in the life that we have. You have to repent and trust in him or you don't have life at all. If you don't have him, you don't have life. So John starts out with his origin. And it starts in heaven. He says, and in the beginning, he was, he was. He's going to come down. He's going to enter into mankind. He's going to show us who he is throughout all this. And then he jumps right into one of the first witnesses. He starts telling us about John. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Verse 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Blind people can't see it. It takes a miracle from God. If you're a believer here today, God called you first, right? <laughs> Opened your eyes that we may see. We pray that. Oh, we want to shine the light of the gospel in their eyes that they may see that God would work a miracle in their heart. You know, you can plant a seed, but we can't make it grow. Uh, God does all that, and so we work in concert with him. But Jesus Christ is the Savior. Jesus Christ is the one who gives life. Jesus Christ is Messiah. Jesus Christ is all these things that he's going to show us. And I'm excited to go on this journey as we go through the Gospel of John. And so I hope it builds your faith. I hope it bolsters your confidence. I hope it assures you with the things that you can trust in. I hope it gives you a boldness as you witness I hope as the darkness comes, we understand the light, and that in the presence of the light, the darkness flees, and that we have nothing to fear. That's why Jesus tells us time and again, fear not, fear not, fear not. Forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. Fear not. Be with your family. Be with your friends. Talk about me. Share the good news of the gospel of Christ. Proclaim it. Uh, let it be known. It was the, uh, we're, to, we're to preach it in the highways and the byways. We're to go tell it on the mountain. We're not to be shy about it. He wants us to proclaim it. And so we're going to go and we're going to try to bolster our faith. We're going to understand, spend time with our Savior, know who he is, trust him, and be emboldened by him, have a confidence in him, and proclaim it to the highways and byways. And so I look forward to going through this with you each and every week as we study it.